1.4 of the second pada, the sadhana pad, and we just began the 30th sutra and this was the yamas, the yam. Remember when we were introducing them, just felt so helpful to tune into the yamas and the niyamas as perhaps as I was saying in the last class, for the majority of us, uh, a much more meaningful practice in many ways even sometimes than our own meditations because as we looked at the Ashtanga Yoga, as we looked at the progression of the stages, we saw that each stage is somewhat dependent on the one before. And if by that you know, understanding, if the Yamas and the Niyamas, which are the first and the second stage, it's, if they aren't established enough, you can't even have asana. I mean, you can't even sit, which is very true because we can't sit because we're constantly fidgeting and we're constantly restless and we try our best to hold certain postures but the body itself is unable and it's not a matter of time because you know I've been doing this for a long time now at least it seems like a long time and so one would assume you know just it's a matter of practice if I just sat for a few hours every day my body should get very accustomed to it but I have sat for a few hours every day and my body still rebels because it's not the body, isn't it? It's this ability to hold perfectly still and allow that interiorization to take place. The body, the mind, your consciousness doesn't want that, isn't interested in that. It wants to be externalized and a lot of it has to do with the yamas and the niyamas. And what I also like about it is there is no place or time where, I mean, Patanjali in fact says that in the very next sutra, I just want to jump ahead, but he says it so beautifully. He says, these accomplishments, talking about the yamas, being not limited to any time, place or circumstance are the great vows. When we talk about meditation, everyone says, time nahi hai, jaga nahi hai, you know, oh, you know, it's hard, my mind gets easily restless. So these are things that what would you say to them? Oh, all right, try again, try again. Because these are subtle realities that even I know are hard to gain perfect control over. Yeah, there are a lot of practical considerations. But with the Yamas and the Niyamas, there is no such excuse. Except you're actually more interested in giving, giving in to your natural tendencies. And that's why they're called the Yams and the Niyams. Control is what Yama means, no? Because it knows our natural tendency, weirdly, is lying, <laughs> anger. And remember, we looked at lying and non-violence. And we, it wasn't lying as in we're kind of, we had a friend who visited us this morning. And he's very sweet. It was the first time she was coming to us. And uh, you know, so she's, she visited us from Gujarat. And her parents know nothing about the ashram. and the little bit that they do know about her spiritual inclinations, they're not very you know, supportive of. So she's here visiting Mumbai, being chaperoned, escorted by her brother because she can't travel alone. And the parents are a little worried that the ashram will go, I don't know if it will go back. You know, who are these people she's going to go visit? But today she kind of slipped away from wherever she's staying telling her brother and the relatives she was spending the night with, I'm just going to go see a friend who lives in Ville Parle or somewhere, you know. So we 
kind of said to her like, oh, you know, be I mindful of the fact <laughs> that you're having to lie in this particular way. And she's like, ah, it's okay, it doesn't matter, I do it all the time. <laughs> and isn't that just our reality? I do it all the time, what's the big deal? <laughs> Nothing major has happened to me yet. But that's the difference. It's not like the world will punish you. It's just that you won't find God. <laughs> it's just that you won't be able to sit still in meditation. That's the side effect of all these things. Not that kuch bura ho jayega, not that some, you know, judge over there is keeping some khata ki how many times have you lied and how many times have you told the truth. It's just that you don't achieve that state of liberation that you're seeking. And that's what this is about. Our natural tendency is to just assume I can say whatever, do whatever, think whatever. As long as I do my puja or I think of God every now and then, as long as I sit to meditate every now and then. And Patanjali very consciously is saying, here are the first two foundational steps and these are important. And as I said last time, perhaps more important than any step for the majority of us who aren't yet able to sit still, who aren't yet able to hold even asana let alone, you know, higher states of pranayam, pratyahar, dharan. So we've gone through these two. Let's see what the other three are. The third of the yamas is non-covetousness, which is another word for non-stealing. Now again, on the first thought, it's like, well, I'm safe, I don't steal things. <laughs> you know, the last time I stole, I don't know, maybe in school, took somebody's rubber or somebody's pencil. I was remembering my brother, we were in boarding school and, you know, every now and then we would go into the boarding school ka canteen and when the guy wasn't looking, we could, you know, pick up quickly one little chocolate or something. And I remember one day my brother got caught. And oh boy, oh boy, he got beat so badly that day. Uske baad se, you know, we've been a little more mindful about. So we, we think, okay, you know, I'm not taking things and I'm not going out of my way to steal. But of course, as we've seen with the other things, this is so much subtler. And what Patanjali, of course, here by stealing and covetousness means, in fact, one of the Ten Commandments of uh, Moses from the Christian and Judaic tradition is also, thou shalt not covet, which means anything that is not already yours, you do not want. So the idea of stealing here is we see anything that we like and we say, I wish I have that. I wish I had that. I wish I could have it. And a part of our energy goes outward and it entangles itself with this. And now this energy eventually has to be drawn back into you with the thing <laughs> that you have set the energy out towards. And think about it this way. You've not stolen, but your hand has gone out and held it. <laughs> Now, the guy whose chocolate you are stealing, if he sees your hand coming towards his chocolate, he's not going to wait for you to steal it. He knows your intention. And that's what happens in our intention. An energetic hand goes out towards that thing, towards a dress, towards a car, towards the latest mobile, towards whatever it is. And it, that hand stays held out towards that thing until you draw it back towards yourself. And that's a process that all of us constantly live in. We're constantly drawn by the external world and we just say, 
and to a certain degree it feels weird isn't it because it kind of completely kills any concept of ambition it's like okay so then i should not want anything in life i shouldn't want the promotion i shouldn't want and that's where we have to be kind of tune into this because the idea here is first and foremost of the compulsion that we are you know it's just this natural ye hona chahiye mere paas i want this it's a compulsion you're not really you don't think about it it's just a natural pull that's where control comes yum control that thought don't be compelled by it because then imagine how many hands you have spread out over how many lifetimes how many hands of yours like kali in her infinite hands we have infinite hands too and they are everywhere right now all our hands are all over the place and they're all stuck so no wonder we can't sit still for meditation basically that brings the restlessness the inner restlessness that we don't know why why it's there but just never stops yeah. and i was thinking when you were saying that since you mentioned i could add a few things you should add i am not i could you must like when you were saying about stealing things one of the things that has been extremely helpful for me on the spiritual path when i have been perhaps even suddenly wanting something just to tell myself that if this doesn't belong to me karmically if this doesn't belong to me by right i don't want it and and to have that assurance like to keep telling ourselves before our hand goes out to grasp something and sometimes it's not about things it's about even spiritual experiences or to behave like somebody else is behaving or to you know just to become somebody else that you are not yet even capable to manifest because we are not there yet and to be comfortable enough with who we are and what is right for us will come to us because it it already belongs to us karmically so so we are not imposing something that doesn't belong to us and that gives a lot of peace yeah. with with that practice like if it doesn't belong to me spiritually karmically if this is not part of my destiny i i don't need to chase anything and and i think that's a good um, thought to keep in mind this brings relaxation swami ji builds on that thought and he eventually goes on to say that this idea behind you know this constant coveting needing comes from this thought that we lack mm-hmm. you know he says it's a it's a consciousness of lack and the universe being a magnetic reality responding to our consciousness our thoughts sees that we feel that we lack and can only give lack back to us in return never fulfillment and that is why you're never fulfilled no matter how many things you are able to finally actually own True. that fulfillment is never ours to be found yeah temporarily momentarily it gives you a little excitement a little rush but that's about as much as it can feed us and so this consciousness of lack is really what we keep building on 
And that's why Patanjali, and he goes on to say later on as well, but the, as we were talking about the Siddhis, you know, the powers that come when you perfect some of these Yamas and Niyamas for non-violence, it was that everybody in your presence would become gentle, docile, loving, even wild animals, even hardened criminals. For non-lying, it is that your word becomes binding on the universe, whatever you say must manifest because you are so in alignment with truth and with non-stealing it is whatever you need will come to you without you even needing to say it think it put it out into the universe so all your needs start getting fulfilled and that is where it is if you need a promotion that will come if you need to grow in a certain way that too will come in fact more comes because the more you just say i'm already complete i'm already full that's the only way the universe can respond to you now with greater abundance (laughs) greater fulfillment more and more and more and this is something naraini and i and anybody really who has at least consciously even to a certain degree practiced this idea you just start seeing that there's so much to have that there's so much that can come your way And you didn't even expect, you thought this is what you wanted, but then the universe gives you that much more. And so, again, these things you see, they seem a little like, oh, you know, this is going to be hard. But the flip side of it is, boy, it's actually not hard at all. Because what you will receive in return is that much more. Of course, we can't have that intention when we start with. Avya Swami says this, little fun story of a, an incident of masters he said master every time he would go say visit a museum or you know some uh, kind of public uh, space he would say i have paid the price of admission so everything in here therefore is mine <laughs> so he'd go into a museum he says since i paid now everything i own and he said he would go around and he would enjoy everything as if it is his and he says when he would leave he says and now I give back everything to the building management because <laughs> now, now they can keep it. And isn't that such a beautiful way to live? Wherever I am, everything is mine. When I leave that place, give it back. You visit your friend's home, everything is yours. When you leave the house, I give everything back to him. And that way, you know, that's the consciousness that I just own absolutely everything already. I need nothing. And that's a, I mean, that's difficult to really get to that experience. Well, we have to cultivate it and we start to build it. And that's why these are the yums, those controls, because that's not our natural state. Not yet, at least. Our consciousness needs a little bit more refinement before that becomes a very natural and easy state for us to perceive. Then comes brahmacharya, continence, or non-sensuality. Now, this is another one of those people don't both understand, appreciate, don't quite tune into what it is. Now, first we have to understand what the word Brahmacharya means, right? Brahmacharya doesn't mean non-sexuality, the word. What does Brahmacharya mean? Brahmacharan means in the footsteps of, in the flow of, at the feet of Brahma. Now, what is Brahma? Brahma is the creative element, isn't he? And what is the sexual 
energy that we carry is the creative power that we carry. So the idea being that we need to follow a much higher level of creative power than pleasure. So that's the only reason otherwise we get caught into anything. And this is again non-sensuality, which means it has to do with all our senses. All our senses give us pleasure. We enjoy watching things, we enjoy listening to things, we enjoy touching things, we enjoy tasting things. Smelling things. We enjoy smelling things. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you know, every sense has an enjoyment and of course certain things are not so enjoyable as well. But that's how we like to use our senses. We want to overload our senses by pleasurable experiences. And in fact, that's how we perhaps even look at life and say, okay, today was really good because many senses gave me pleasure today. And when the day is bad, <laughs> a lot of my senses didn't feed me in the way that I wanted. But Brahmacharya suggests that in order to especially that creative force, because it's a very powerful force. If we think about the sexual energy especially, it has the power to create life, like Brahma. I mean, imagine, look at that. You and I and every individual and every, in fact, creature has the power, well, this is a divine power, naturally so, to create life. Imagine if you could hold on to that power. And you could redirect that power for something else. And that's where Brahmacharya comes in. It is a conscious choice of understanding that you have two choices. You can either kind of deplete that power for pleasure. And that is why the second chakra is called the Swadisht. Swadisht. Tasty. No? The Swadishthan. Usthan jhase bhoti Swadisht experiences milenge. That's what that means, no? That's what we're looking for, that's what we're seeking. If we hold on to that lower pleasure, we are able to transmute that into, ideally, a higher and higher pleasure. The further we hold on to that. Master said that every sexual interaction is equal to you losing a liter of your blood. Imagine how much prana and life force exists in our blood. If somebody were to take a liter away from you in that moment, it would take a lot of energy to replenish that lost prana. And so when we're looking at the spiritual path, we're always asking the question, what is it that I truly want? And it's not so much why are there rules and, you know, why am I stuck here and do I really need to follow this? And for most of us it is, you know, I'll do this, but I won't do that. But when you understand very clearly, it's all about the amount of energy I'm able to hold and channel upward. And it becomes a little bit of an obvious step for us. Like, okay, I need to do that. Swamiji says here very beautifully, he says, those who achieve this kind of self-control become mentally brilliant. Because then all that energy, imagine that energy exists. And then you are able to channel it. A lot of brilliant geniuses of our time were mostly celibate individuals. Not because, again, not because they chose, like, oh, I can't because of any reason, because the creative pleasure they were receiving from these higher states was far more 
than they could ever receive through the senses. And that's what we have to experience. We can't just focus on suppression. We have to experience those higher states in order to finally say, yeah, this makes perfect sense to me. And so, you know, look to whatever senses you derive most pleasure from. If you watch too much stuff, if you're constantly listening to too many things, you know, give your senses a break to constantly withdraw energy away from them, or especially if you depend on them for some form of satisfaction. Moderate that, relax that back, and don't be too dependent on your senses. Did Swamiji say that also the sexual act reinforces above all the, the ego? ego. And just something that for some of us who are consciously trying to work a little bit with that ego involvement, it's just like it reinforces it. And that was an interesting comment there. Like, yeah. I don't know if, do you remember? He, he no, said, that, he yeah, said yeah. that, yeah. I'd also underline this one, another interesting thing. Swami says over here, for one to gain the full benefits of continence or of this kind of control, one must be completely continent for at least 12 years. So one mm. Jupiter cycle. Master also said this about breaking habits, any habit. He says in order to make sure that you've overcome a habit completely, means that you have not indulged in that habit for 12 years, for a one Jupiter cycle from when you begin that intention. So whatever it is, if you feel that, you know, I've not been in any aspect, any habit in my life, I feel I've overcome, just look at it from that perspective. Has it been 12 years? <laughs> if so, then you're definitely well on your way to have overcome it. Finally, we have non-attachment. Now, non-attachment, also known as non-greed, is very similar to non-stealing. But the difference here being non-stealing was the things that we don't have, the desire to have them, and non-attachment is the attachment to the things that we do already possess, which means that we identify ourselves with our possessions. We identify ourselves with the things we have. And when we don't have them, when they're taken away, when they break, when something happens to them, it hurts. Because we feel like a part of us has been broken. A part of us. Because that's what identity is. We start to identify with the things that we have, possess, and more and more, so what is it that we identify with the most is our own selves, our own body. Eventually, Patanjali says, with non-attachment, the Siddhi, which is very interesting, is that you're able to remember all your past That's lives. Nice. Isn't that fun? <laughs> if you can be non-attached, you're able to remember all your past lives. And that's because eventually, the final detachment is from this physical body itself. And the moment you detach enough from this body, you're suddenly able to remember all the bodies you inhabited. And you say, oh yeah, I was that, and I was that, and I was that. So now I don't feel like I'm Shurju anymore because I was also, I don't know, Priya and John and whoever else, more names. <laughs> you know, just all that becomes revealed to us. So what is it that we can do in our daily lives to find that non-attachment? One of the things the greatest things is to start giving them away. 
<laughs> we used to do this as a challenge, yes, didn't we? Yes. How many times did we do that? Just a couple of times. Yes. And the, during the COVID yeah. period, so we, we ran some challenges. We were like, okay, open your cu cupboard, and <laughs> we're gonna. One day is like we'll give one thing. The second day we have to give two things away. Yeah, the third thing we have three things. How long did we go? Nine? Was yeah, it a Navratri challenge? challenge? Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. You know, and. At the end, it was just getting hard to, what am I going to give away? <laughs> <laughs> because there's not yeah. that much left. But that was a great, great yeah. experience, wasn't it? Yeah, probably I'll come up with something like this. Oh, is it? And okay, I was good. Something That'll like nice. that, yes. I was thinking also when you were saying that about non-attachment, not just not to be attached to the things that you already have, but to want more of those things that you already have. Mm. And that's something that we kind of get got up, got up mm -hmm. into it. It's like, I already have enough, but maybe just one more of it, it wouldn't hurt anyone. I have, we have one of our sisters here, Somia, that she <laughs> makes beautiful dresses. And she always wants to make dresses for all of us. And at some time ago, it was my birthday, so a group of them just came together and their gift was to, you know, make a few dresses, a few kurtas. So she got so excited because finally she could do like six, seven, eight, ten kurtas. And when she was sharing that, I said, Sonia, I don't need any kurta, maybe just one. No, no, you have to have more. You need dresses and for the cafe and for the satsangs and you need different kurtas. No, I, I, I don't need them, and this is a choice. I mean, let's do something else. Maybe one dupatta, maybe one kurta, maybe one pants, but really, I just, it's a conscious choice. I don't want more of those things that I already have. And of course, sometimes you will need to fill it out. Sometimes it's the universe that really wants to, you know, gives you, you know, he wants to give you mm -hmm. things, and you have to embrace them. but. But you have the ability to, first of all, to acknowledge, wait a moment, if, if I have enough, I just, I want to have the free will not to keep accum accumulating things, which is also another thought to keep in mind, to play with it sometimes. I was remembering a story of Swamiji. Um, this was towards the end, we were in a hotel uh, in Pune. And in this hotel, there was a little store, you know, one of those Kashmiri stores that most of these five-star hotels have. So they have shawls and stoles and all this um, uh, paper mache, you know, artifacts and stones and, um, you know, gemstones and things like that. And so Swami said, you know, goes to this store and wants to buy something. I can't even remember what. Wanted to buy a yellow sapphire. Yeah, was yellow it that sapphire, one? Yeah. Yes. So he wanted to give Narayani a yellow sapphire. And so we go to the store and we're looking at these things. But every time Swami goes to a store, and especially in these stores, which is filled with color and you know, just beautiful things, his, his heart just opens up and he starts saying, oh, this other person could also use this and this other person could also use that. And so he just wants to pick up many things from many different people. And this storekeeper, you know, he was just, the moment we entered, you could just feel like greed exuding from him you know just like if you can if you can visualize greed as a person <laughs> the kind of face they would have and the kind of hands they would hold that's what this guy kind of just looked like and the moment he saw swami come in and the moment he saw that this man was you know interested and swami is just oblivious because 
he doesn't see the world the way we do. So he's just telling this man, and I think I need more of this. And this man's getting so happy. You know, he's just, and he's just throwing things into it. It's just like, and Swami says, yeah, you know, because we meditate and my guru is, he's like, oh, guru, okay, then this is spiritual. You know, he started kind of playing on the guru card and he's like, this you need and therefore you need that. And he just kind of started sharing, giving more and more to Swami. And weirdly, normally, you know, Swami doesn't, but Swami was just going on and saying, okay, 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 to everything this man was putting before him. And finally, at the end, and Narayani and I were having a hard time. We were trying to kind of subtly bring Swami away and say, Swami, I think this is enough. You know, I don't, it's getting late for dinner. Let's go, you know, just getting him away from that energy because we were feeling really like yucky in that presence. Finally, after, you know, I don't know how many things he ended up picking up, seven, eight, nine different little things. Well, Swami, the time comes for Swamiji to pay. He takes out his card, he signs, and now you have to sign that slip. These were the days when you actually still had to sign. Nowadays, you don't have to do. And so Swami had this beautiful Swarovski pen. I don't know if you've ever seen these, you know, and they're just filled with these little crystals and just very, very pretty. And Swami takes that pen out to sign. And this man's eyes go, boom. And he says, that is a beautiful pen. <laughs> and he says, can I have it? Imagine that, this man. And we're just like, you know, at the end of our... And Swami says, sure. sure. <laughs> and just gives it to him. And, you know, and that's it. And he just walks away, he's got his little things. It doesn't matter, like everything just goes. You know, if you can have that absolute freedom. And for us, it wasn't like that the pen was so pretty. And, you know, as a devotee, you'd be like, Boy, if we could have that pen, <laughs> if a devotee could have that pen, how meaningful it would be, Swami's pen, you know? We'd like put it up in the altar. And this man, I don't know what he's going to end up doing with it. Well, that's just the kind of freedom. And Swami, interestingly, the more we were getting upset and angry at this man, Swami was giving him more love, being willing to take more from him. It was a great lesson for us, different from non-attachment that day was that as much negative energy we were putting out, Swami was having to put out that much positive energy in the room to negate the effects of what was going on in our mind. The, the non-violence was not happening in our mind, you see. We were getting very violent internally, agitated, upset, negative towards the person, judging him. And so Swami had to do the absolute opposite, just embrace him. And say, oh, you want me to take this also? Fine, I'll take this also. You want me to take that also? Fine, I'll take that also. So you see how beautifully in one little episode, the saints, how they're able to just express the absolute highest of these teachings. And they do it so effortlessly and so naturally. You wouldn't even think. It wasn't like Swami was thinking, well, yeah, I have to practice non-attachment. Oh, I have to practice love. Oh. You know, it's not like us. There's no mental concept behind it. It's just the naturalness of the refinement of consciousness. That's where it comes from. Having done it so often, so consciously for so long, now that's just who they have become. But these are the ways we have to tune into the actions, intentions, words of our lives because Narayani and I thought we were protecting Swami by sending out negative energy towards this guy. You see? We thought we were the right ones. 
And oh, Swami, naive and gullible, he's just falling for this man's trap. No, no, no. He was protecting us from creating a karma of entanglement with this man that we would have to live later on in some form or the other. So that's what these yamas and niyamas are really about. A protection for each of us from further entanglement, further karmic consequences that will live on for a very, very long, much longer than this one life. And then, of course, he comes finally to the next where he says, these accomplishments being not limited to any time, place or circumstances. Circumstance are the great vows. And I said this last time and I really enjoyed the way that he said this, are great vows. The yamas and the niyamas are vows that we can take, resolutions that we have to pledge, a shapat. I take this vow to be non-violent, to be kind, to be non-lying. And then he goes on to the niyamas. And the niyamas are purity, contentment, austerity, self-study, and openness to higher truths, or also known as Ishwar Pranidhan, devotion to the Supreme Lord. Do you want us to go into this, or do you want to yes, end with a practice to... and then a little meditation? or? Up to you, whatever you feel. Maybe we'll start with just do cleanliness a okay. little bit okay. and then say. So let's just do the one which is purity or also known as cleanliness or socha in Sanskrit. Now, cleanliness, let's look at it from the most obvious place, which is to be clean. What all can we keep clean? Our bodies. <laughs> Forget the mind and heart and all those things for now. Just the body, no? Nice and clean, our environment, nice and clean. And why do we need to keep the body clean? What happens if the body is unclean? Disease. Disease, isn't it? What happens if you keep, if you don't bathe for a long time? Apart from you get really smelly, you become more and more conscious of the body. The more dirty your body is, the more pull it has in you. And that's why purity is a nice way to look at it. You know, if you have garbage around in your um, vicinity, it's going to stink. And it's going to draw your attention very consciously to that garbage, to that dirt. When we go out <laughs> sometimes, I mean, you know, on the jetty towards um, the cafe, now you're stepping into a boat, you're going to cross the ocean. I mean, this should be a beautiful ocean. experience, <laughs> but it stinks. So it draws your consciousness down. It creates dis-ease, which means you're not at ease when there is impurity going on. So the same way, we have stinking thoughts, smelly thoughts, dirty thoughts don't we? Intentions that stink. Words that stink. And they bring our consciousness down. They create dis-ease. Cleanliness on the inside, if it's not there, it will create a lot of disease. In fact, I remember there was a book that, were you reading that um, from this lady who had cancer and had a yes, near-death yes. experience. Anita Murjani. Yeah, Anita Murjani. Murjani. 
Uh, what was the name of the book? I forget. Die to be me, I think. Something like that. Something anyway, like she wrote a beautiful book. This lady had cancer, had a near-death experience, so. came back, and uh, you know, just life-transforming experience. Wonderful. But she was when she was in the astral world during her near-death experience, she realized and was given this insight and this clarity that cancer is the origin of cancer is fear of all cancers. It's fear. Fear. And when fear builds and takes on, it becomes cancerous. No, it eats up you from the inside. And so that's the origin of disease. Fear is an impurity to our consciousness. Similarly, take any such other realities. Cleanliness becomes really important, but also on the external thing. You can't just say, I'll be clean in my thoughts. Anything, because cleanliness creates light. When your room is clear and clean, what happens? It feels light, which means energy flows freely there. If the shoes are kept here and your clothes are kept here and your bed is unkept, it feels heavy. It feels that things aren't moving. Energy is not moving, it's being blocked. Oftentimes, surprisingly, sometimes we have people who are having trouble in their lives and you know they told us that they're having these problems and once or twice some you know coincidentally Narayani and I have happened to visit their homes oh boy there is a lot of blocked energy in the home just by not that the house is not clean because pochani and jharuniya wo sab ho hai but there's just a lot of tamas corners where things have not been touched for months you know, just dust accumulating on them, cupboards that are just filled with old stuff. And so imagine so much of that carries a lot of, you know, what's the right word, psychological blocks as well and weight. And so think about cleaning constantly, consciously, every time. Clean the body, of course, clean your surroundings, and then use that as a tool to also clean your inner selves. Swamiji says here, whatever is impure and unclean is that which obscures the presence of God. If one does not bathe regularly, it becomes difficult to rise above body consciousness. So if we don't bathe ourselves regularly, inwardly, it becomes very hard to rise to higher states. And then he says over here, and this is a nice thing, avoid people whose vocabulary is unkind, boastful or coarse, and avoid those whose subject of conversation is heavily laced with ego, and with contempt for others. Now he's saying avoid such people, which is a nice thing, but first avoid that in your own self. I like the I like the fact that it's, you know, he's put it out in this particular form because these are ways we can just get a sense of where's my what kind of what level of cleanliness do I have in my conversations especially. So what is he asking? Look for vocabulary. Is your vocabulary unkind? If there's a way to present something, do you choose an unkind way to present it or do you choose a kinder way to present that same information? Is it boastful? Do you feel the need in your conversations? We did this wonderful exercise with Nitai when yes. he was here, which was 
know, have a conversation with two people and see if there is this tendency to try to draw the conversation back to yourself. And it was a fun thing. It was easy to do in this little setting for three minutes that we had to do it. And, you know, we could feel very good about, wow, I listened to this guy completely. But that's not how we are in real life. When people are conversing, we're already coming up with <laughs> our version of to trump this or to show that And this is, in fact, my experience is quite much better than yours and so on and so forth. Look for that tendency to be boastful and coarse, which means again, a little, not just unkind, but not refined in the way that you would say those same kind of concepts. And then this other one, heavily laced with ego, which is similar to being boastful, but with contempt for others. Watch out how you, in conversations, you talk about others to other people. And these are just beautiful ways. I, I would love for us to tune into this. If although Narayani will now tell us what we are going to tune into for this week. And this is where we will stop we can, with cleanliness. Yes. Maybe we can do something like this next week. Okay. I would like somehow this week to practice the last three yamas together because I think they are correlated somehow. Non-stealing, brahmacharya, and non-attachment. I think we can create something simple um, to practice it daily for seven days. So I was thinking for non-stealing, and of course we know it's not about things and all that, but let's, let's, let's pick it up from the perspective of the consciousness of luck in our lives. And for the majority, not for everyone, but for the majority, we are always asking for abundance. And primarily for material abundance. We, we want, we think we need more money to do more things. And we cannot do things because we don't have enough money. And if we do, what about if we use it for this? Will I have for this other area of my life? And there is a little bit of, of fear about using the money because we feel if we give it away, we won't have enough for something else. But the law of universe is such that says, the more you give, the more you receive. And I would like to practice non-stealing non and that consciousness of lack from this particular perspective related to money itself. I would like for each one of us every day to give away 5, 10, 20 rupees, 100 rupees. You choose. You choose the quantity and give it away. Perhaps you go on the rickshaw and rather than pay exactly 150 rupees, you give 155. Just give a little bit more than what's being asked and free yourself from that consciousness of I have to count everything, otherwise I won't have enough of. So working with, the, with, with money, and, and our approach to it, and with that consciousness, like I don't need to be afraid. So every day, that's something we are going to practice. If it's not giving away to the rickshaw driver, maybe it's giving it away to a homeless person, to a kid, or, or, or to use it in whatever way that you just, you know, something that I'm afraid to give, 
I give it freely. Or give a with, donation. With, or give a donation. And I do it without any reason. And start developing that sense of freedom. So that's for non-stealing. For brahmacharya, which is self-control and, and our senses. And you also choose what you tend to indulge into. For some people, if for you is food, make sure every day you eat a little bit less. Or if you are eating too much of something that you really like, maybe a little bit less of that particular thing that you enjoy so much. Or perhaps not to eat it that day. Why not? And start developing that self-mastery. If you are spending too much time on social media, you know, spend less time. Recently, I'm working on that. Since the last 24 hours <laughs> or 48 hours, I have made a, con a conscious choice. I'm not going to indulge into this particular area of my life. And I know we use it in a right way, but it's tempting. And I can see the danger in my own consciousness. And when I realized that, especially in our recent seclusion, I thought, oh, oh, I need to work more consciously in this particular aspect. So I have decided for, you know, I don't know for how long, but at least on our own personal social media to withdraw myself a little bit and practice that self-control. So you choose for you, perhaps is social media, is food, Perhaps it's a particular activity, watching too much TV. Perhaps you have to watch less or not to watch. So that also needs to be practiced daily. So we have the giving money, extra money, to withdraw or to control a little bit at any particular indulge, indulgement. And then for non-attachment, I would say every day, Believe me, this is going to be seven <laughs> days in a row. It, it looks, it seems easy, but you will find yourself like, oh my God, now what? What, what can I give away? And this is what I want to practice for non-attachment. Go through your house, through your armario, through your kitchen, through your bathroom. And those things that you have already too much of, give away. One of them, every day. Perhaps is you have many cups, two cups need to go away to your mate or with your mate. If you have too many dupatas, one dupata needs to go away. If you have too much, whatever it is, and you know what you have too much of, that also needs to go away daily. So let's all practice this together for seven days, these three elements united to work with these three yamas at that level where, where we feel there is an actual practice of it. There is, a, there is a transformation that we are breaking through something. We are changing our approach to the things, to the circumstances and the situations that we have in our lives. So if you are up for this challenge who of you are going to practice <laughs> this okay very good so let's 
make a team of it and let's see what happens at the end of this week. I would like, however, to end as we decided with a just short meditation to introspect a bit how the yamas can be fully integrated in our lives. And as we can see, we don't need to start with big things. Just very little steps that can make a huge difference and can bring that sense of freedom that each one of us is looking for. Let's ask for the grace and the power and the courage of Patanjali so we can practice these particular teachings in the best of our abilities and feel that openness feel that willingness willingness in your heart I want to do this I want to give it a try I want to become a yogi.